Anthropological evidence has shown that every ancient civilization has had a belief system for life after death. Now let that sink in. Academic research has shown, according to academic research, that every distant civilization has had an understanding that this life is not all there is. Now, that doesn't mean every ancient civilization has believed in God or in heaven as we understand it from the Bible. It's just to say that uh, the notion of there being nothing after death is relatively new. For example, Australian Aborigines picture the next life as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was an island, but instead of west, it was in the faraway east. Peruvians, Mexicans, and Polynesians all believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Many Native American tribes believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of wild buffalo. Sounds awesome. Uh, in, in ancient Egypt, in the pyramids, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them to the future world. Now I know what you're wondering. Who made the maps? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. I was wondering how accurate they would be. I would be asking some questions if I was on my deathbed. Yet, I can't help but wonder if this isn't why the writer of Ecclesiastes said God has placed eternity into the heart of man. In other words, we all have this longing in our soul that this is not all there is. There has to be something more. This is probably why so many people have asked the question, is heaven for real? Or said another way, what happens when we die? Now, if you're a guest with us, let me quickly catch us all up. Every fall, we like to explore some of the more controversial questions that people frequently ask. Questions like, is God anti-gay? What happens when we die? Do all paths lead to heaven? Can we trust the Bible? These are all questions we've attempted to answer. And I like doing this, quite frankly, because I think it helps us understand God better. But furthermore, I want you to know that you can ask questions. And you don't just have to take everything on faith. And I love that you are all curious about heaven because at my age, it's something I should be thinking about, you know? I had to tell Laura, don't buy any green bananas, babe. You know, I just can't, might not make it to week's end. To be fair, I'm attempting to run a marathon this weekend, so death seems a bit more inevitable. And if I'm not here next week, it's been a good run, all right? We had a good time. Enjoy the fried food on my behalf, and hopefully we'll see you on the other side. That being said... We've got some things to cover, a lot of things to cover, because you didn't just want to know, is heaven for real? You also wanted to know all about heaven, and you asked questions like, are my pets going to be in heaven? Which the short answer is, I don't know. I hope, I hope they are. The Bible does say that uh, animals will be in heaven. The scripture says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. And so I just like to believe that Jesus is the kind of guy where if your dog died, he would raise your dog from the dead. And if your cat died, he would come over and help you bury your cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's just not, it's not going to heaven for sure. Um, 
I'm kidding. I know all of your pets. Every time I make a cat joke, somebody always comes up to me and say, you'd love my cat. It's not like other cats. I say, you know, I lie. I'm like, I'm sure I would. No, 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 I wouldn't. Uh, but I, I hope your pets will be in heaven. I believe they will be. Another question people often ask is about mansions. You've maybe heard that God's preparing a mansion for you. So about that, uh, you should know the word mansion is only found in one translation of the Bible. It's the King James Version. And it's John 14, 2. Here it is. My father's house has many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, there's no reason for you to know this. This is what you pay me for. But that word mansions is better translated rooms. In every other translation, pretty much it says rooms and uh, like hotel rooms. Uh, God's house, God's hotel has many rooms. This is also referring to paradise, which is different from heaven. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come back to that idea. Hold that thought. Some people wanted to know about white light. Do I see a white light when I die? Uh, Don't know. Bible never talks about that. I suppose it's possible. Uh, A lot of people wanted to know about the books that are written about heaven. You've maybe read some of these where people die, they go to heaven, but then they come back to life and then they tell their stories. So I've tried to objectively read most of the books. And here's what you should know. Many of them, quite frankly, are unbiblical. And so I would caution you, if you read them, not to base any of your doctrines or theological assumptions on them. A couple of the more popular ones, The Shack. Uh, the Shack is very well written, but it does directly contradict how uh, the Bible describes God. The book Heaven is for Real, no, another one, again, very compelling read, but makes statements that the Bible never does. So am I saying that that's never happened, that nobody's ever died and gone to heaven and come back and told... No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is the Bible has told us two cases of where that's happened. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talks about being able to to go into heaven and see it. But God specifically tells him, don't tell anybody about what you've seen. And then in another instance in Revelation, uh, John gets to take a glimpse into heaven and God says, record everything that you saw. So my point is, I think God can do whatever he wants and show anybody whatever he wants. I just don't think we should support or create any theology around something that's not supported by the doctrine we already have in the Bible. So if you read it, you know, you can read it. But again, don't base any of your theology and say, oh, this is for sure going to happen. No, we got everything that we need to know right here in this book. And so what I think we need to do moving forward is read some scripture and then answer the question, is heaven for real? Spoiler alert. Yes, it is. And in light of that, I think we should also dissect some ideas about heaven and what you can expect while you're there. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the very back. You need to find a book called Second Peter. Just start flipping to your left until you find it. We're going to post it here on the screen. Uh, or it's going to be there in your notes if you want to follow along there as well. Second Peter chapter 3 is what you need to find. I'll give you a nanosecond to get there. And here we go. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. 
And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. God, thank you for that truth, that your patience is allowing people to be saved. I'm asking you uh, just for extended time, but also hurrying along the coming of your Son. Jesus, help me accurately describe now what awaits for those who have put their trust in you and what you have revealed to us in your word. Give us clarity, open our hearts, minds, and spirits to what it is that you need us to learn. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So even though every culture has had a belief system for the afterlife, not every person throughout history has wanted to think about it. Some did. It's been recorded by historians that Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, he commissioned a servant to stand in his presence every day and say, Philip, you will die. That sounds like a horrible job, doesn't it? Philip, you will die. And if you do, do I get an advance on this paycheck this week or tell me a little bit about that? Uh, in contrast, Francis Louis Fourteenth decreed that the word death may not be uttered in his presence. Hope nobody tried to teach Louis, you know, about the history of Greece and that Philip brought in a servant to stand in his presence every day and say you're dead. And now that servant is dead. I don't know about you. I found that most people are more like Louis than they are Philip. Most people want to deny death and avoid the thought of it except when it's forced on them. Matter of fact, most people take every extreme precaution and measure they can think of to prolong their life at any cost. 
If you go to Amazon.com right now and uh, type in anti-aging in the search bar, you will have to sift through more than 30,000 products. That's a lot. Uh, most investors believe the anti-aging market within the world will tip the scales at $300 billion next year. But that's hard to quantify because there's a lot of black market products going around. Perhaps you read the news story about the gal who paid another lady who is claiming to be a doctor, uh, paid her to give her plastic surgery out of her garage. That sounds safe and completely reasonable. And, you know, make yourself comfortable on this hood of this car while put you to sleep with exhaust in this hose. But what in the world? Totally legit. Uh, if you head over to Saks Fifth Avenue right now, you pick up the store's current best-selling anti-aging cream, La Prairie Skin Caviar Luxe. That's what it's called. I googled how to pronounce it. Uh, it costs a staggering $485 for 1.7 ounces. If you use that for 30 years, let's say, of your wrinkled life, that will cost you $197,880 on face cream. And people are doing that. Here's what I'm getting at. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. You need to prepare for where you're going, not where you are. We need to prepare for where we're going, not where we are. Stop spending money on cryogenics and face cream and prepare for eternity, not just the 80 years or so that you're going to get on this earth. In his book, creatively titled Heaven, uh, Randy Alcorn writes this. I would recommend the book for everybody, but he writes, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not the next. And we won't be motivated to share our faith. Why should we share the good news that people can spend an eternity in a boring, ghostly place that even we're not looking forward to? But what does Peter write? We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God has promised a world. That's an interesting plot twist. A world filled with God's righteousness. So right out of the gates, we've got a distinction to make because this can be very confusing. What's Peter talking about? New heavens and new earth and a different world. And if you read Revelation, John talks about a new Jerusalem. And Jesus on the cross tells the guy next to him, Hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What is that all about? In other parts of Scripture, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And I mean, this is more confusing than an Amish electrician. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do they even do that? So let me try and clear it all up. The Bible teaches that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior and when you die, right now you go to a place called paradise. It's like heaven, but not eternal. The eternal one that Peter is referring to, they're different. It's kind of like the appetizer before the main course. When we read that passage in John, that uh, God's got this great hotel and there's many rooms, arguably Jesus is talking about paradise. 
like the Ritz-Carlton, in the sky, where all the saints go, and hang out until God sends Jesus back. And God creates this new heaven, as in the sky, and the new earth, as in heaven, as what we would traditionally think about it, and define it. It's a new world. In other words, it's the newness that God is going to bring into this. Uh, I know it's a lot to take in, but essentially the Christian faith teaches that when you die, your soul goes to paradise until one day God sends Jesus back. He institutes his kingdom of heaven on a new earth, raises you from the dead, which is why we need to give deliberate thought to where we're going, not where we are. So in order to help us with that preparation to think about where we're going, not where we are, I want to give you three things Uh, that you need to do. First of all, you need to renew your thinking. Jot that down. Renew my thinking. What's verse 1 say? Why does Peter even write this letter? To stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Things back then weren't all that different from things today and how quick people are to forget the promises of God. You might find it interesting that just in the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record Jesus' life just in those four books alone, over 125 times, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. 126 times he talks about that. That's a lot. It's like it's important or something. I'll share just one with you to renew your thinking. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's going to come someday. Now, before we talk about being born again, because that's kind of weird language, especially if you're new to the Bible, let's first talk about the kingdom. If you were to describe a kingdom, what elements would you include? Probably a king, certainly. If there's a kingdom, there's likely to be a king. And if there's a king, there's likely subjects to be ruled. But what else? In order to rightly be described as a kingdom, wouldn't it also have to include a territory for the king to rule and a culture for the king to maintain? And if there's people, wouldn't they need like homes to live in and responsibilities to you serve the king and friendships to maintain and most people don't think about that when they think about heaven they think about clouds and bright light and harps and wings but that's not at all the picture the bible portrays we need to renew our thinking imagine responsibility and service and leadership and mountains and rivers and snow and desert and rainforest and animals and everything operating together out of pure joy and ecstasy for God's glory. Imagine responsibility that God will entrust to you as a reward that can only be good for you and you can only find delight in. Think about an eternity of life-giving soul-fulfilling work. That's heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who's been clearly gifted by God to do something on this planet. Just watched a documentary. It's been a little while back about a guy named Paul Gauchi. 
Uh, it's called Back to Eden Garden. Listen, that brother is clearly gifted by God to grow a garden. I tried everything he's doing, and I killed everything. It didn't work at all. And Paul promised me that it would work in the documentary. And now Paul and I are going to have to have a conversation. And I'll never experience the kind of this because that dude is gifted by God. I fully expect that that gift, you know, corresponds and translates up into heaven as well. I think about different revolutionaries on this planet, people like Joel Salatin and Leonardo da Vinci and Pablo Picasso and Martin Luther King. And I think about chefs and all the different kinds of foods there are. Have you ever thought about who first started figuring out recipes and combinations of flavors and teaspoons and half cups and how if you crush up some Oreos, and mix it with whipped cream and then you freeze it. That creates an amazing crust. And then you add cream cheese and chocolate pudding and whipped cream on top of that and a little chocolate chips. Like layer, I would murder somebody in order to get my hands on something like that. You ever thought about like furniture makers and who invented tape measures and saws and tools and who's the first person that thought to themselves, this rock really isn't that comfortable to sit on. I should invent something that has a little back support and maybe a foot rest and I can put my feet out and that would be super awesome. And I can promise you none of those things were thought up by the devil. God in his grace to all of humanity said, hey, take this lazy boy and take this recipe book. And by the way, here's how you harvest food. And here's some chocolate. And here's some good wine. And here's Italy. Go ahead and make some lasagna. And here's Mexico. This is called a fajita Mexico. You should give this to the rest of the world. Thank you. And hey, America, here's this brother named Hollis Wilbur Owen. You know, he invented the compound bow. You should take that bow and stalk an elk and kill it. Hashtag live gold. And this dude's name is Ferrucci Lamborghini. You're going to want him to work on some cars. And this dude is named LaMarcus Thompson. He's going to invent seamless hosiery and the roller coaster because those things obviously go together. In the same. What in the world? Everything you enjoy on this earth that's not sinful, it's most likely going to be in heaven. But you don't ever think about that if you don't renew your thinking. And you'll fall in love with everything on this earth and you'll be so earthly minded you're of no heavenly good. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will see the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who renews their thinking and does the will of the Father who's in heaven. Which begs the question, well, what's the will of the Father in heaven? Oh, it's to reach new people. And so in order for you to prepare for where you're going, not where you are, you need to make a concerted effort to start reaching new people. What's Peter say in verse 9? God does not want anyone, circle star underline highlight, anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone, draw a line from anyone to everyone, wants everyone to repent. So there's only two types of people in this world, repentant and unrepentant. Those who are repentant, they humble themselves before the Lord. They're the ones who say, God, there is nothing that I can do that will make me right before you. You're too holy and I'm not. But I know your son Jesus paid the price for me. He lived a perfect life and I accept that free gift of salvation in his name. And people that do that, they're born again. They get new life. 
a life that will last for eternity. And the Bible makes it clear that God has entrusted to you this message. He calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5, God has entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation. But some people, after accepting this gift that was freely given to them, they become so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. They don't want to share the message. Make no mistake. The reason God didn't just rapture you up into heaven the moment you're saved is because there's two things you can't do in heaven. You can't witness and you can't sin. And so in the meantime, in order to prepare for where you're going, we got to start witnessing and stop sinning. Y'all ever seen that movie Schindler's List? I'm reminded of the conversation that Oscar Schindler had with his uh, boy, uh, Itzhak, when he was trying to save the Jews from the evil Nazi empire. And he, he says to Itzhak, I could have got more out. Could have got more. I don't know if I just, if I just, I could have got more. And Itzhak replies, Oscar, there are 1,100 people that are alive because of you. Look at them. But Oscar can't think about that. He says, I, if I'd made more money, I threw away so much money. You have no idea if I could have sold my car, I could have, I could have got this. Maybe if I would have sold this button, this button could have. If I, and how many of us have that same attitude for the lost people around us? If I, if I just could have invited one more person to church, if I could have just prayed for one more, if I could have just cared for one more child back in rhythm kids, if I could have just served one more cup of coffee, if I could have just shaken one more hand, if I could have just set up one more chair, if I could have just plugged in one more microphone. See, God is using all those things because He doesn't want anybody to perish. And every time you serve, you give God the opportunity to change somebody's life. People always argue, well, how could a good God send anybody to hell? He doesn't want to. I can prove it to you in the Bible. Matthew 25, 41. Jesus says, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his demons. Hell was never prepared for you. What was? A perfect earth that was cursed by sin and God is going to restore it for everybody who believes in His Son, Jesus, which is why we need to do anything short of sin to let as many people know that heaven is something to look forward to. Which leads me to point number three. We have to refocus our energy. Refocus our energy. Check it out. Verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed... When God makes this new earth, that's what all that fire language is talking about. What holy and godly lives you should live. Not because it earns you heaven, but because it prepares you for heaven. Can I remind you of the passage that we looked at last week? In Matthew chapter 16. When God says, For the Son of Man is going to come into His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward, King Jesus will reward you, according to what you've done. I don't fully understand what those rewards will be or how they will work. I just know I want as many as I can get. Come on, somebody. Anybody take their kid to Chuck E. Cheese? I wouldn't recommend it. But what's every kid want while they're there? As many tickets as they can get. Why? To get some kind of jankety Chinese toy that's going to break in the van on the way home, which is not at all what heaven's going to be like. 
because God is only a giver of good gifts. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us wanting some more tickets when we get there. God's promised to us more rewards. And yes, His redeeming work of salvation where your sins can be forgiven, it's all free, and you don't have to do anything to receive that but trust in Jesus. And yes, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future sins. And no, you don't have to do anything after that. And yes, you still get heaven, which I believe deathbed confessionals are real because of that thief on the cross. But I also believe that God says you'll really know if somebody is saved and you'll really know a Christian based on their fruit, based on what they do. So in order to prepare for where we're going, we need to refocus our energies on what really matter. I'll give you my sermon title quickly this morning, calling it Eyes on the Prize. In order to prepare for where we're going, we need to keep our eyes on the prize, refocus our energy, reach new people, renew our thinking, keep our eyes on the prize. So as the band gets ready to come and close us, uh, I want to wrap things up like this. Like I mentioned, I'm getting ready to run a marathon on Saturday and throughout my training process, what I found to be super helpful for me was to focus on small objectives. So as I would run long distances, 16, 18, 20 miles, uh, I would uh, break it down into uh, loops. So we live out in the country, and I'd run a section. I might run two sections, you know, sections four miles. I might run a couple and get eight miles, and then I'd run a couple of those loops. And in between, I'd set a cooler out at my house, and I would think to myself, if I can just make it back to the house, I'll get a little bit of a break. I'll have a, a rest. And then in the shorter distances, 10, 12, 14 miles where I didn't want to stop at all, I would think to myself, if you can just make it to that tree, you can make it to the next tree. If you can make it to the next tree, you can make it to the mailbox. If you can make it to the mailbox, you can make it to that barn. If you can make it to that barn, you can, on so on and so on, I would go. All these small objectives, I would think about that in my mind. I'd pick things in the distance to focus my energy on not think about how much it sucked to be out there running. But one morning, this only happened once, thankfully, it was brutally foggy. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't see a tree. Couldn't see a mailbox. Couldn't think to myself, if you can just make it back to the house, because I had no idea where I was even at and how I'd get back to the house. And, and listen to me, it was by far the slowest, most grueling, and by far most painful run I ever had because I couldn't see where I was going. My hope this morning in talking about heaven is to lift the fog. My hope is like Peter to stimulate your thinking. A lot of people are thinking wrongly about God and his kingdom of heaven. And we live in an age of scoffing that Peter talks about and skepticism and people want to say a good God couldn't send anyone to hell and there's no way Jesus is the only way and what if I've got friends and loved ones who didn't trust in Jesus and here's the only thing I can tell you you're the one who's here right now and at the end of the day everybody will get a chance to make their choice but what if they don't Well, verse 15 says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I just believe God means what He says. 
I've chosen to believe that the God who wants everyone to repent will give everyone multiple opportunities out of his patience and his love to do just that. In the meantime, I'm going to control what I can control, which is my thinking and my reaching and my energy. And I know heaven will be only a place of joy. So no matter what happens, it's going to be worth it. And so for now, instead of railing against what we don't know, let's focus on what we do know. And let's see how many people we can reach together and tell them about heaven. And let's start preparing for where we're going, not just where we are. Can I hear better amen from everybody else? This is what we're about. Connecting people to God's purpose, letting them know that heaven is a real place and they can spend an eternity in an amazing world that God is going to create. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for this truth. That you thought everything through to the point of creating an eternal heaven, paradise, earth with you and your glory. Uh, Thank you for creating a way for us to spend this eternity with you and it has nothing to do with us. God, I'm just imploring you to move in this place right now out of your patience and your desire for everyone to be saved that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice watching online on the podcast whatever it is that they would surrender their lives to you that they would have this assurance in their heart that they know that they'll be spending an eternity with you because Jesus is our living hope if that's you, if you feel like God is speaking to you in this moment, if you want this assurance, this is the place you're going, the Bible makes it clear, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Haven't lived a life that you've wanted. This holy, godly life you've talked about. I want to do that. God, forgive me. Help me live for you. God, help each one of us as we leave this place to renew our thinking. God, I hope I've done that. Help us refocus our energy to reach new people for their joy and your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.